This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode 207, The Fly Franchise, Part 2, The Remakes, with special guest host, John Haru. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend's plumber. Superman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Strangers and Aliens, a podcast about sci-fi, fantasy, Christianity, and faith. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and this is part two of a two-part series about the Fly franchise. We talked about the original trilogy last episode, and this episode we're talking about the 80s movie by David Cronenberg and the sequel by someone who wasn't Cronenberg. And uh, that laugh you just heard right there is not Steve, not Jace, not Evan. It's John Haru again. Hello. So, hey, John, how you doing? I'm doing great. All right. You ready to talk about the uh, the back half then of, of the franchise? The better half, yes. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about the original trilogy. Those were uh, 1958, 59, and 65, I think. Uh, this, it comes back in 1986, a uh, movie directed by David Cronenberg, who's known for, uh, icky body horror stuff. And I think in the public consciousness, um, probably known for icky body horror stuff because of this movie. I yeah. Think this is, I don't know if this is his first real, um, breakout film. But. This is the this is the film that he was really noticed for his okay. body horror and and actually at the 2010 Montreal Rue Morgue Festival of Fear, he was asked about his mastery of body horror and uh, what he said to that was actually uh, uh, it was it has to do with the effect of that he's an atheist and thus he doesn't believe in the supernatural so the most ter- truly terrifying concept to him would be the violation of or degradation of the body because that is basically just it's the you because he doesn't actually believe in the soul so you're you are what you are and so if that hmm. degrades then that's the most horrific thing he can think of yeah well and what i'd heard i mean there's some people who have and this is something i've heard i in, the, in 1986, I was 12 years old. We talked about this movie on the playground, so to speak. I had friends who had seen parts of this movie. And so I had heard about like the guy's arm getting snapped. And, of course, then you, I'd seen the commercials. And I'd heard the phrase, be afraid, be very afraid. Um, and that phrase is still a thing that's around. Um, but I obviously didn't see it. What I'd heard people then 
talking about how this was like a metaphor for AIDS, which was coming into the public consciousness as well in, in the 80s there. And uh, what I heard Cronenberg say to that was that he actually was considering it as, you know, aging. It's just that, that natural degradation, like you're saying, of the body that you just can't help. Right. And, you know, in this case, it was just super accelerated. But, yeah. But um, just that the aging the thing it does to you and because and, i was watch when i was watching it and i thought about this before too this goes along with some of the things i like about swamp monster stories and and different things like that is you know why what is it about those kind of stories these kind of body horror stories that really uh sink their hooks into us and cause us to to think about being human or whatever it is uh and and i do think it does get into some of that you know disease and you know the fear of something that is happening to your body that you can't do a thing about and it's just going to happen and uh and then also just that you know we are physical beings we believe in a soul that there's a there's more to our physical being than that but um you know you stub your toe and it's it's going to hurt and that's going to cause a spiritual reaction potentially right. and and so I, I was just trying to think through like why do i like watching this kind of thing and because it's not i mean there's no joy no in, in this movie no uh unlike you know re, re, well return of the fly there's some joy in that movie <laughs> you know that that movie ends with joy <clears throat> and you know the the reintegration and the the reunion then of of a man and wife and and this there there's some joyful moments in between things that are happening but then there's also these false joyful moments where Jeff Goldblum is, is relishing his, his newfound basically superpowers. Right. There's a, a section in the middle of this movie where it is almost a superpower origin story. Yeah. Uh, but then it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> it gets yeah. really, really bad. So I, I do want to uh, give a couple warnings. One is um, spoiler warning. We are going to be spoiling these movies. Uh, the other is these are both R-rated movies and are rated for uh, – there's language. There's um, – Body horror. Body lots horror. Body horror. And, yeah, lots of that. Uh, violence. And then there is some sexuality. I would say it's not the kind of sexuality that is a titillating kind of thing. No. I would say it's really quite gross. Yes. Um, and even – part of the body horror in some ways. Um, yes. And you do see Jeff Goldblum more of him than probably you ever want to. Um, but it, he's there. So. Just, yeah, there's, there's some things in this movie that you can't unsee. I'll just, I'll just throw it out there. You see his bottom. Um, it's, it's, it's Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldbum. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is, um, well, 1986, and they did. <laughs> I'm not sure the story behind it, but David Cronenberg is going to remake a 1958 um, movie that was a uh, a successful movie, but he is giving it his own spin, and it is going to go into some places, man, where the other one did not go. We're, we're going to talk about abortion. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about, I mean, in the movie, we're going to talk about these things. Um, just death. We're going to talk about um, uh, in, in some ways. Now, this is probably not 
this is not in the movie, but it's it's brought out in the movie. Just this idea of if there's nothing more than the physical, then why not just be what you can be and you know be the insect politician, which it's an interesting speech that he gives about insect politics and how he wants to be the first insect politician and he's just going crazy and yeah. So let's talk about the story then. Um, yes, let's. There's a, there's a lot to this, but basically Seth Brundle is Joe, Jeff Goldblum and he meets a uh, reporter named Ronnie and she Which is Gina Davis. Yeah. Uh, that kind of, that was weird. Yes. Yes, it was. And he wants to show her, uh, what he's working on that's going to change the world. And she's a science journalist. So she, she goes with him. It's a teleportation device. They're telepods. It's a teleporter. And she, he, he's going to let her, um, see all this stuff, but then he realizes she's a reporter and she wants to write about it. And so he kind of freaks out a little bit, but she decides, you know what? I'll, I'll keep it quiet. And, I have exclusive rights to not just the story, but your life right now. And so they, they're able to transport things that are inanimate, but you, uh, there's a really awful thing where he has a test baboon, not Guinea pig, not little white mice, a baboon. That <laughs> it just gets, it just gets ripped apart by the <laughs> teleportation. And it's really, really quite sad. <laughs> Um, it makes you long for the days of Dandelo and the Phantom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you can see they're going beat for beat in some ways with that. Yeah. Uh, now he's not married. He doesn't have a child, but well, um, it was the eighties. You didn't have to be married back then. No, no. And so Seth and Ronnie, um, they, they start becoming romantic and, and then they're getting ready. They're having breakfast and they're having steak and he, this inspires him um, to reprogram the computer in a different way because he puts the stake through and she tests or she takes a bite of it and it's disgusting. And this is one of those few joyful moments when it's gross. She eats the steak and it just tastes horrible and he walks away and she switches plates with him so that she gets the good steak and, right. and not the bad one. But um, she has an ex-boyfriend who is actually her editor and Seth is worried because she's spending time with him and he is drinking and he decides to put himself through the teleportation device because he's able to successfully transport a baboon, another baboon. He goes through, he gives the baboon a hug when it's okay. And, um, then this is where it all goes wrong. This is where he has super strength. He's able to climb walls. He is, very, very um, sexually active, wants to just remain sexually active. And he thinks that he has been made perfect and pure. And the, the teleporter purified him. Yeah, yeah. And this is where there's some really interesting stuff where he's just going on and on about how he's he's become this perfect thing and it's purified him. He wants her to go through and she does not want to go through. And so she gets out of there and... <clears throat> And he um, he goes out. This is where he goes to the bar and he has an arm wrestle match with a guy and snaps his arm. Um, then he brings a girl home and Ronnie comes home to to find him with her, with this, this other girl. He's and trying to force the girl to go through the yeah, thing. Yeah, he he really just wants someone else 
to be with him to in this, you know, and he, anyone, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're animals, right? So it doesn't matter. Well, he had some hairs that were growing out of his back that Ronnie cut off his back and she tested them and finds out that something happened and he's actually now part fly. It merged with him um, like in the first movie. And so she leaves again. He gives her a call and she comes back and he's really, really looking bad. He's vomiting to um, – break down the food before he eats it which is you know what flies kind of do uh it's just awful she goes back to her old boyfriend and uh she's pregnant now and so they're going to go and the old boyfriend takes her to a, a doctor to have an abortion um because she had a really bad dream about it she gave birth giving to, birth a, to maggot. a maggot that was gross oh it's just awful it's disgusting uh yeah, and so, um, and s- before she's able to have the abortion, uh, S- Seth finds her. He comes across town, grabs her. He's really looking bad, really looking bad. And he reveals that he's going to put her through the telepods. So he has an old prototype that didn't work great, but he's he's put it together now. He's going to go into one. She's going to go to the other, and then they're both going to come out the third fused together with their child just as a family (laughs) and the, you know, purified family, I guess Um, the ex-boyfriend comes and there's a brief fight. Uh, She's trapped in the telepod thing and the the ex-boyfriend has a shotgun and he gets vomited on his hand and on his foot. So he loses his hand, loses his foot. Uh, But before the process can be finished. Uh, Ronnie gets out, takes a shotgun, uh, shoots Seth and Seth falls into the machine as it's activating. He's fused in with the metal of the telepod and crawls out. And it's just, it's just messed. She didn't shoot him ahead of time. Did she? No, she shot him after the, she shot him afterward. That's right. Um, I think the boyfriend, the boyfriend shot something that caused it to, to mess up or whatever. But anyway, he shot, she, the, he shot the pot, the telepod that Gina Davis was in to get her okay. out. Well, she has to shoot him I and mean, she has to kill Seth. Yeah. I mean, and then that's, that's that. So. You see, and that, and that telepod brundle fly at the end that was produced from that, 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 that was a missed opportunity for your guys' Android episode. <laughs> You mean this? Yeah, that. Well, yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So it's 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 messy. It's gruesome. It's um, it's very very um, earthy. Um, very very grounded in the in the physical world. Um, but there are ideas that it does get into of, you know, where he's talking about how I've been purified and, and just kind of, you know, this science, um, you know, this is where I might get into a little bit of a weak connection. So stop me if I'm stealing some of your thunder here. You know, I, 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 I grouped for these two, I grouped my weak connections in at the end of my notes for the second one. So you can go ahead, go to town. So what you've got here though, is you've got someone who's trying to find perfection and trying to find that something more through science. But what ends up happening is he just becomes more and more 
of the world and, and more and more animalistic, really. And I don't think this is something David Cronenberg is trying to say. It's, it's just incidental. He's becoming a fly. So he's becoming more animal and less human. And he's losing the divine spark. The, he's losing that image of God. Right. As, as he's going through this because he's turned to something that just can't give us meaning and give us that something more that we're looking for. And it's, it's, it's a, it's got drama. The acting in this movie, I, I really like the actors. Really? Uh, I do. I thought I Jeff do. Goldblum seemed like he was doing a really bad impersonation of himself. But this is before. Like, this is, I, this is <laughs> everything after this is him doing this character. Uh, so Jurassic Park is him doing this character. He was more believable in Jurassic Park, though. Because like he this, got better the- at it. <laughs> No, I like them. I the may, the boyfriend not so much maybe, but they got the right guy to do this manic um awkward geeky guy who then becomes just really really uh self-assured and he's able to play that as well and then he's he's playing this pained diseased thing. Uh, I think that they they got the right guy here. I, I can't imagine what someone else would have brought to the role that, that Jeff Goldblum wouldn't have. Now, granted, you're right. I mean, everything after this becomes a caricature of this. You know who I would like to see in that role? Who? Christopher Walken. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I could see him in the beginning and I could see him at the end. I'm not sure if I could picture him having that self-assuredness. Because the the stuttering awkwardness... You know, it it would it would it would feel a little bit more natural for him just because that's his natural delivery, just the start stop delivery. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I can see that. I I still I just feel like Jeff Goldblum was was made for this part that they're doing here. Eh, to each their own. Yeah. I, I I will say I did like the development of Gina Davis's character. Yeah, because uh, she started out as being incredibly selfish and unlikable, and by the end of the movie, she had learned how to. You know, she even even at times where, you know, she was going to have the abortion of the maggot baby or stuff like that. I mean, her thought process was became progressively more selfless in favor of uh, Seth Brendel. So, I mean, I like that character arc quite a bit, but I've always liked Gina Davis as an actress, though. Yeah. Well, and then I mean, then you bring her to the end where basically this whole movie is kind of forcing her to care for him. Right. And then have to destroy him. You know, I mean, Mm. and and in the end, the destruction of of Seth is not out of self-preservation for her. It's almost, you know, a a merciful act. Well, yeah, I mean, he was going to die anyway after he became telepod Brundlefly. So, yeah. So this is where you get, you know, it goes into a lot of places where, you know, it, it gets into the, the, the concepts of, of abortion, of euthanasia. Um, and, and now the, that stuff that you said about the, the Montreal uh, Horror Fest or whatever it was that Cronenberg that was at, mm-hmm. that totally um, – I mean that totally rings true with what he's presented here in, the, in this movie. And it, I, can, I can see – I can really see that now. 
Yeah. So. I mean, and, and they, I think, I think something that uh, Cronenberg also was trying to do, I think he was trying to hit all the taboos of the 1980s too. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, with the concept of abortion and then just splashing a lot of, a lot of really gross sex scenes on this screen. I, I could have done without all that. I, I, I don't like a lot of sex scenes. So this one kind of caught me a little bit off and guard. It, and it skirts that with, there's brief moments of almost nudity. Um, but then you, you you do get the the Jeff Goldblum butt, and, yeah, and that's yeah, unfortunate. Uh, and also he goes through the, the the telepod, but really almost anything as far as as that stuff goes, you could do on network television, which isn't yeah. saying much. But um, he you know they they could show him in the pod because it's that that Terminator pose where when term, the Terminator comes through yeah. time and and. He's posed perfectly so you don't see anything that you're not supposed to see uh, except for this thigh and leg, you know, kind of thing. Right. So. And, and I started thinking to myself when I got to the end of this movie because I, I, this is one of those movies after you get done watching it, you have to sit there and digest it and think about it because Cronenberg likes to throw in a lot of heavy themes with this stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, can you imagine any of this stuff in the original fly? No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> It goes. I mean, I'm I'm curious what the what the like the the creation process was like, where they say, okay, so here's what we have in the original, and they follow a lot of the ideas as far as, um, you know, just seeking through science and and doing the experiment when you really shouldn't have, and right. Um, we get to see a lot more, and you know, the fly gets in there. We see that, and we know what's going to happen when it happens. It's a tragedy in that way, but. Yeah, the the original it, it's it's really really bright and happy compared to this. Oh, definitely. The 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 first one seems like a trip to Disneyland by comparison. <laughs> this movie is the bleakest of the series, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is this is what you and Steve would call darky dark dark. I yeah, yes. It is. Maybe with a, another dark in there. <laughs> this is this is more of the dark, darky, dark, dark. Oh, the dark, darky, yeah, dark, dark. Rather than the regular darky, dark, dark. So, yeah. And, and so as far as like recommending this kind of thing, um, I'd be cautious in, in my recommendation. Um, it's not for everyone for sure. Uh, like I would never ask Evan to watch this movie. Oh, no. Um, I mean, it, it just it would push. um it would push him into a lot of areas that he's not comfortable and there's no reason to push into those areas that, that he's not comfortable with with this movie. Um, I think if you're going to watch it, you need to know what you're getting into. Um, but also no, I mean, again, this is a movie I've seen it three times now, once a long time ago, once when it came out on DVD or when I got it on DVD, I should say. And then once for this, this podcast and I I've seen it enough and, this well, is... it's one of those movies like, you know, and I'm not trying to draw a comparison based off of the overall intention of the message, just more of the severity of the content. But it's one of those movies a lot like uh, you would see like The Passion of the Christ or Schindler's List where it's like you don't sit down and just watch it just for the sake of watching. Right. It. Right. It's, it's one of those things. There has to be a specific reason why you're doing it. Or you you have that specific itch that is just like okay it's that time I need to, but it's not something that you just 
sit down and watch or just loan out to your friends and just say, Hey, you should see this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah, it, you're right. It's not a, it's not a, Hey, it's Friday night. I want to have a fun time watching a movie. You yeah. It, it, it's a, it's a certain kind of movie for a certain kind of time. Um, I, I made it a very specific point to not have anything to snack on while I was watching this movie. <laughs> well, and see, I, I wanted the food there and I, I then vomited on my food so I could slurp it up uh, after the enzymes broke it down because. Oh, so you're into like the whole immersive movie experience. Yeah, yeah man. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to be right there with the characters. And, hey, yeah. nothing like that fresh taste of vomit. So then I also jumped through some windows and did, yeah. did your wife shave some hair off your back too? Oh, that was, <laughs> you know, see, that's one of those moments where <laughs> it's not really disgusting <laughs> until you start thinking about it. You know, he had a cut and, and this is, this is another little interesting bit here. Uh, kind of getting into the idea of what science is and what science does and, and what you look to with science. He lays down in bed on a microchip kind of thing. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if it actually is a microchip. It's it was, there's yeah, a microchip it was, in it's, it's the green material silicon material with the little prongs on it and the prongs yeah. stick into his flesh. It was like a capacitor and the pin stuck into him. Yeah. So then when he goes through, that's where he first starts showing evidence of fly like characteristics is in the cut. There are fly bristles growing through these these cuts that he had and that's where she finds that and, and cuts them off to to have them analyzed or whatever and but again it's just one of those well thought out filmy things you know where you know oh we, we're gonna have this little quick moment that feels like nothing but it actually is is kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen and that's that his body is going to be violated by yeah. the science that he is getting he, he's involved in and you know for all the nasty that you see in this movie with the body horror you know his face peels apart and there's a fly head underneath and stuff like that the, the what really grossed me out the most i mean what really made me just made my knees go a little bit weak was when the fingernail came off oh that's <laughs> well you're expecting it to be a tooth well, there's just the fingernail. The fingernail just peels right off. And it's just like there's something about fingernails. It happened to me in Stir of Echoes when her fingernail came off. I just know. <laughs> yeah, it's it, – well, and you know why? Because that's the most realistic thing that's yes. happening there. Um, that, that's something that I have heard about where like you can watch a movie and someone gets like punched in the face by the Hulk. And you're like, oh, man, but you don't feel it. Right. But then, you know, you see someone get pinched or something like that. And it's just something little. And you do feel it because you're able to relate to that. Right. And and that's that's the thing you relate to. I mean, I've I've had trouble with my toenails in when I was in high school, especially and had to have like some some operations on my toes. And yeah, that that's very real and, and very easy to to have. Yeah to have a problem with. So well, I've, I've there, I've actually literally had a bamboo piece of bamboo shoved up underneath my toenail before. So yes, I'm right there with you. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the relatable body horror right there. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> it gets into a lot of that 
yeah, it, it, it just gets into that a lot of that um, idea of the, the spirit. Do we have a spirit? Well, if not, yeah, I, I, now that you say that, I just really like I want to read that quote. <laughs> I want to find that. that, that said, I, I, OK, I'm, I'm going to tell you this much. I it's not something that I specifically read. It was okay. uh, another podcast that I was listening to where oh, okay. the two gentlemen had gone to that 2010 Festival of Fear up in uh, Montreal and they sat in on his panel when he said that. Well, it so. certainly fits what, what's going on here. Yeah. Well, David Cronenberg did not return for the sequel. And you can tell. Yeah, yeah. And the sequel is called The Fly 2. And one of the taglines was, like, father, like son. <laughs> and then on the back of my DVDs, the, uh, the fly, it says, be afraid, be very afraid from the movie. I don't remember this being in the movie, but on the back of The Fly 2, it says, be very, very afraid. So they, they had, I guess, slightly tweaked the quote, but it's the son of the fly. Yeah. It's, it's the son it, of the fly. Here, here's the thing that I think that they were trying to do with this movie. I mean, if you take this, if you take these two movies and you compare it to the three movies of the last one, I really think what they did was they took return of the fly and curse of the fly. And they put, they basically put them both in the teleporting pod and and then they put it and then they sent him through and they pushed those two movies together into being one movie. Yeah. Because there's concepts from both of them that just end up in this. Yeah, it's Eric Stoltz now. He is Martin. That's that's a name from Curse of the Fly. Oh yeah. So um and he is basically being raised in a facility, a science facility, uh Bartok Industries. And the owner, Bartok, has basically taken the role of father with this child. Now, he's, he's aging very, very quickly. But he grows up and he has this room where he's being studied and tested and everything like that. But he does uh, get out and, and walk around the complex. He sneaks around. He has this uh, helmet that he's created that kind of gives him a fly look in a little way, a bit. Um, but he accidentally stumbles upon a, a room where they are doing experiments with the telepods from the first movie. And he sees them put a dog through and that dog comes through and he's just torn inside out basically, but doesn't die. It's just deformed and it attacks one of the scientists and Martin freaks out. And then uh, a few years later, I mean, he's he's 25 years old in body, but he's like five years old in real life. And it's Eric Stoltz. And he I, again, I like the acting that he's doing here. Uh, I like his voice. I like the kind of innocence that he has. Um, and he's a genius. And so Bartok says, hey, why don't you work on your dad's telepods and, and fix them for me, make them work for me. And he gets to see the the videotapes uh, that that Ronnie had taken of Seth, and so we get to see Jeff Goldblum, both in makeup and not, uh, f- from some deleted scenes and from some actual scenes from from the first movie. And then he meets a lay, uh, another scientist, Beth, and Beth and him ha- start a relationship together, and he brings in Beth on what he's doing, and. Um, 
he finds the dog. It's still alive two years later. So he kills it, um, but gently kills it with uh, some, uh, I don't know what you put on. You put stuff on the cloth um, to knock people, uh, chloroform, I think. Right. Yeah. Now that scene, when that dog started whining while he was doing that, I was at my mother-in-law's house watching this. I was house sitting and her dog was going crazy when that dog was oh, whimpering man. while he was doing that. <laughs> Just saying. So he kind of figures out, I mean, he also knows he has a, a condition, a genetic condition. And so he thinks maybe I can go through the telepods to become a healthy human. And he starts putting together a program for that. Uh, but then he finds out Bartok's been lying to him. Bartok's been spying on him. Uh, he starts going around and, and finding out more information about his father and about the, what, what Bartok is doing with him and that Bartok wants to use the telepods and for, you know, for business and not for, um, just scientific, uh, research and everything like that. And he starts turning into a fly and he escapes with Beth and they find the boyfriend from the last episode or last movie and who is walking around fine. I'm not sure if he has a prosthetic foot. I think I think they briefly but, showed him with a prosthesis. I can't say it. A he, prosthesis. He definitely has one on his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he he basically I don't know what the scene is there for, but he you know chides them for, you know, science. You know, we don't want to go where science is. God doesn't intend us to go kind of thing. Um, he gets he fully becomes a fly without wings uh, because he goes into a cocoon and the scientists are able to come take him back. And he comes out of the cocoon and just starts killing everybody. And then he uh, Bartok is holed up in where they have the 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 transportation pods, the, the telepods. And Martin goes in there, confronts as much as he can as a fly. He's not really saying anything, yeah. but he takes Bartok. He activates the machine. He drags Bartok into the machine and uh, Beth. Oh, Beth has to activate it because yeah, he he's in the machine and he's actually like moving Bartok's hand to show like pressing a button, like pantomime pressing a button. So she presses the button they transport over to the other side. Bartok becomes a freak monster and Martin becomes like he's under some sort of gooey, crusty stuff. But they pull that away and Martin's fine. And, and she like, kisses him right when she pulls him it's out. It's disgusting. It's so gross. <laughs> and you almost get a feeling like they merge together a little bit, but they merge together in such a way that Bartok is almost like a cocoon. Yeah, for him. And Bartok then is placed in the same place where they had the dog, the deformed dog. And he's eating out of a bowl, just like the dog was eating out of a bowl. And there's a fly there. Yeah, that's the fly, too. Now, did you did you catch the horrible Gina Davis lookalike at the beginning in the birth scene? Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. And I don't think they use Gina Davis's actual voice, but they. They might have, but I don't. I don't think they were using her actual voice from the videotapes. I don't know. And did you catch the name of the uh, woman doctor that was treating Martin? No, Doctor Jane Way. Oh yeah, yeah, I do remember. That. As in Star Trek. Yeah. Much earlier than that, but yeah. 
Yeah. So this one, when he turns into the fly and he goes on this rampage, there is a high body body count. Um, yeah. There's gross death and there's, uh, but most of the grossness and gruesomeness comes from the transformation and the different like goos and stuff that are bursting out of uh, like the, the uh, cocoon that he's in. And um, it doesn't have nearly the amount of, of sexuality, although there's still the language. Uh, there is some sexuality because he's w- having an intimate moment with Beth and finds a videotape of it. I have, a, I have, I have a thought on that scene. Yeah. Did she know, did it occur to anybody that she was literally doing that with a five-year-old? Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> it's like big, you know, where I don't, I try not to think about that scene of uh, big. It's a horrible scene. When you think about what it really is now, the difference here is this is a he has the lifespan of a five year old, but he definitely has a maturity beyond that. But yeah, but but he's still only been alive for five years. Now, she doesn't know that. I don't think I would hope so. (sighs) Or I mean, I would hope not. Otherwise, what's that say about her? Yeah, (laughs) actually, now. Okay, now was it just me or the beginning of the movie when he was like the little kid, like when he was like one and two, and you know, and he so basically like what six and ten? Yeah. yeah. Um, did that not feel like one of those nineteen eighties Disney live action movies yeah. that they were doing, like Flight of the Navigator uh-huh. or something like that? It sure did. I was I was sitting there watching that, and I'm like, is this seriously the sequel to the movie I just got done watching? Because this feels a little bit too colorful. Now, have you had you seen this movie before? No. Okay. All right. Yeah, I had, like I said, when I did that kind of, um, I wouldn't call it a binge watch, but I guess that's basically what it was. But I, and I think I might've seen it even before that, like I had rented it, um, Mm -hmm. years and years ago, but yeah, this, I, I had forgotten that and I had forgotten like that helmet that he made with the flashlights on it. Right. Um, but totally makes him look a little bit like a fly. Yeah. Uh, which, Nice little bit of foreshadowing or referencing the past. I, I don't know. But. I, I, I said it when we first started talking about it, but I honestly think that they were trying to use ideas from both sequels of the original. I for think this. you're right. Because he has the name of the disease he has. They're calling it Brundle's Accelerated Growth Disease, which is directly using an idea from Curse of the Fly. Mm-hmm. And then, but they're using the concept of the sun taking over the uh, experimentation, which is from Return of the Fly. So, no, I, I think they're making this. I think this is not just a sequel to the previous one. This is a remake of the sequels. Oh yeah, and and I I, I absolutely think that's what they were doing. I think that, and I I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's a good way to do this. Um. And I, I like that they bring back footage. One of those scenes from the videotapes that he's looking at is a deleted scene. And and then the other one, I think, is actual like the actual scene mm-hmm. um, where where he's actually in the in the makeup and stuff. But now when when they show, when they first showed the telepods, when they're doing when they're when they uh, teleport the dog and the, the little kid, Martin, sees the thing happen. Were you paying attention to the music at the time? No, I swear that they recycled music from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark at that point. <laughs> well, the, what music I did hear 
I I don't feel like this is a very original soundtrack. No, I think that they were pulling a lot of cues from a lot of different. Like I I got an alien vibe, or aliens I should say, not not the first alien, but the, the aliens, James Horner. Um, I that's what I was getting. The music that I did notice just mm-hmm. felt like aliens, and I think that aliens is absolutely one of, or 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 maybe even alien. But at the end, when he is just full on fly, uh, I think that they were really going for that alien vibe. Where, I could see that. You know, you've got these guys running around with guns trying to track down a monster that is vaguely human sized, has no weapons, but is smarter than them. And right. Is taking them all down one by one. Yeah. But is kind to the dog. <laughs> like. Yeah, the dog comes running at him, and he just reaches out, pats it on the head. So, yeah. So, what are your overall feelings here? Then, did did you like this movie? Okay, it's, it's very different. I knew you were going to out me on, on this point here, but and uh, I'm embarrassed to admit it because I I know this is the wrong opinion to have on the series. So you can tell me I'm wrong, and I will accept that. But right. I. I actually liked the second one better than the first. Really? Yeah. I think the, I think the characters in the second one are a lot more likable because I didn't think Jeff Goldblum's character was likable at all. Gina Davis, she was unlikable for the first half of the movie. And then the ex-boyfriend slash publisher, uh, he wasn't likable even by the second movie. So, I mean, it was, the first movie was just terrible things happening to terrible people. And then in this one, you actually, you actually, they slow, they, and I think a lot of the reason why that the first one rubbed me like that is because they, it felt rushed. Like they rushed through the romance. They rushed through the experimentation. They're like, we need to hurry up and get to the body horror scenes. Cause that's what people are here for. Whereas in this one, I think they put a little bit more time in character development and kind of made you care a little bit more about Martin and, you know? Yeah. Well, this is a much more watchable movie for me it is uh it's it's much less difficult to to sit through uh and yeah i i like eric stoltz i i like the character the way he's playing it um when you know the ending is just still that real quick boom happy ending yeah yeah you know yeah but the but, thing about it, the thing about it is they didn't they didn't switch the atmosphere of the movie until late in the movie. I mean, the, the whole movie had a more upbeat vibe to it. Yeah. And I, I actually wrote down the very specific moment at which the whole atmosphere of the movie shifted. And that was when Bartok to, at, asks the girlfriend for the magic word um, when he pulls her into that into the uh, teleportation room. Uh huh. And he's for, trying to force her to tell him, tell her, tell him the magic word, which is the password the, for the computer, right? Because without it, they it can't. Was like, they can't run the machines. And it was like at that point, the horror film switch was flipped, and it switched from being just a generic sci-fi movie to being a horror film. I, I would, yeah, I don't think even I would call it a generic sci-fi movie. Well, I mean, not not because, generic. But I mean, you know. It went. It went from being just a, a sci-fi movie to it flipped over to being a horror film. It was very, it was a very noticeable shift. The 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 stuff where he is kind of he's aging, but then he's kind of building a cocoon that's that's appearing around him. Right. Um, just that the way he plays that older, 
uh, fly guy, I guess. I don't know what to call him at that point, but that felt, I mean, that was kind of touching, you know, almost. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and then you get the whole betrayal by the father figure. Yeah. Uh, you know, not his, not his actual father, not Seth, but Bartok. Um, yeah, that, that's where it switched tones for me, where he gets beyond the, I think something is going on that I don't want, you know, and, and gets into, um, okay, not only is this horrible thing happening to me, but this horrible thing is happening to me relationally as well. Um, yeah. And, and then they use the old, the old boyfriend. I guess he's kind of the, the gatekeeper. He's the one who says, you know what? You're about to step into a new movie <laughs> when <laughs> you, you've had a great, a great run up until this point. But guess what? You're about to step into something else and it's about to go bad. And I like the character design for the, the fly creature. It, it, I don't like it at first. It grows on me, though. And the way it walks by and you know, clearly when the legs are going by, it's it's they're, they're puppeteering the legs, you know, and you can't see yeah. what's above that. They're, they're obviously shooting around the the creature to get the effect that they want. But yeah, I, I like that. And it works. I, I think the creature really works for me. Yeah. The dog does not. The mutated, no, the mutated that, dog is terrible. That that felt like a bad Jim Henson prop. Yeah. Uh, and the Bartok slug thing at the end, that felt like something from the X-Files. Uh, I don't know why, but as as he's wa or as he's crawling, really, I'm like, this feels like it, it, it just got pulled from an X-Files episode. Well, for me, it felt a lot like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Child, when Freddy's that giant worm snake thing that's devouring the lady. But I have a feeling I, I have a feeling of all the people who listen to this podcast, I'm going to be the only one who knows what scene I'm talking about. So. I've seen the scene, but I think I've only seen the scene. I don't think I, I'm, I'm pretty positive I haven't seen the movie. But yeah, so it's. Overall, I mean, it basically goes into this. Yeah, it goes in the same places that those, the 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 two sequel movies to The Fly goes, and and not in a bad way. Um, yeah, I I don't know which one. If I was ranking the two of them, I'm not sure how I'd rank them because they're you know, they're, they're very different movies. I, I will put it like this: I enjoyed the second one better, but you can't really compare them against each other because they're essentially two different types of movies altogether. Yeah. But I'm asking you to, <laughs> I mean, cause th this is, this is a question I posed to you as we were preparing to, to, to do this. And that was which one of these movie series, the original trilogy, or oh, these oh, two? Oh, I thought, okay. I thought you were talking about between the fly one and fly two in the eighties. No, no, oh. I am. I am. But which one of these series has the biggest leap in tone between the the movies because you have two very different movies between The Fly and Curse of the Fly, but then two very different movies between The Fly and Fly Two. Here, the biggest leap in tone. Yeah, I would say it would be between the the original Fly and Curse of the Fly. Okay, because the the logical leaps that they take between the in the in the distance between those two movies is so astronomical. And ridiculous that it's just like it. By the time you get to Curse of the Fly, it's like it's a completely different series altogether. Well, but I feel like the Fly too. Although within its own movie, it does that too. But the Cronenberg thing is so dark and so down 
I mean, it just presses down on you with its uh, depressingness. But and then the fly too, you end up. It's all bright, and it's bright because they're in a clinical area. You know, it's all white walls, and the lights are on, and that kind of thing. Um, but then it gets, it, then it turns into aliens. Yeah. At the end, and then you have the super happy ending at the end as well. As they have a nice mucusy kiss to celebrate their love. Oh man, what I don't know what he's covered in. There's you know all sorts of jelly stuff, but you know they they're peeling away this s- crusty uh, shell stuff that's like <laughs> peeling it from his face, and he, he's got these streaks of it looks like bloody gel, you know. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm watching this, and I'm like thinking to myself, oh, don't stick that in your mouth. You don't know where it's been. Oh no! And she she hugs him, and then she kisses him, and it's almost as bad. But it's in a different way because in the first one, there is a point in the movie where Ronnie just, oh, Seth, and she he's looking so bad. His ear has fallen off you know, and there's all this stuff. And, but oh, she and just, the fly puke was down the front of his shirt. Yeah, yeah. She just can't help herself, though, because she so, feels so horrible for him. She embraces him. She takes him into her arms and holds him. And, you know, but she's doing it because it's this emotional reaction. I have to, you know, mm-hmm emotionally protect him you know and and in with beth it's just oh i love you you know and, and he says and you know everything's going to be okay because he says to her i'm okay <laughs> the movie tells you <laughs> yeah no no tests no anything i mean we're getting out of here quick and it, um, it, it was the 1980s equivalent of just putting up and they lived happily ever yeah, after totally. across the screen totally uh, now it's it's the 80s and and we want to be a little more cynical and a little more nihilistic because, you know, 80s. But we'll have the happy ending, but then we'll also have that ironic twist because Bartok is now in the place where he put the dog that he had caused to become a, a mutant creature. Yeah. So. Okay, so I want you to rank them all. And put all five of them in order? Wait, wait, wait. First, what's, what's your weak connection here? Okay, so my weak connections kind of span across both of the uh, 80s movies. Uh-huh. Um, and it started out as a random thought I was typing down because if you know, if you watch both of these movies, the horrific fly mutations don't really seem to begin until after the main characters have premarital sex. So, maybe a weak connection on this on both these movies would be premarital sex turns you into dis- turns you into a disgusting monster. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, if you watch them and you and you wait to see where the mutations happen, it's both directly after that happens. Um, second thought on that, uh, more specifically to the uh, second movie uh, for a weak connection is uh, the only way to for uh, Martin to save himself is for someone else to make a sacrifice for him, which demonstrates the need of a savior. Yeah. The difference is he and this is where this movie, they become slightly unlikable to me. He grabs Bartok and pulls Bartok into the chamber and then Beth presses the button that's going to, you know, condemn Bartok to this. I mean, for all she knows, they're going to die. Yeah, they're going to go through. They're going to die. And they they set this up early on where he's talking about purifying his genes. Mm hmm. And and creating, you know, a program with the telepods that can do this. But 
he's gone through and murdered a whole bunch of people as, as the, this monster. And you could, you could argue self-defense on that. Uh, and you could also argue, you know, self-preservation here with Bartok, but he chooses to take Bartok in there. She chooses to activate the machine. And, right. And this is, that's a real problem for me. Yeah. It, it just really, oh man, it, it takes the step toward villainhood. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But I mean, the eighties were all a period of, of, you know, the cool villain though. I mean, yeah. he's, and, you know, this is what this is what Seth intended to do. Now, he was going to do it with Ronnie and have Ronnie be that other DNA. And he's going to merge with her, you know, but here it's. Yeah, it's it's a it's a brutal moment and, and it kind of mars the character for me a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. OK, so now let's rank them. I, and if you want, I can go first. Oh no, I could do this. Okay, I, I right. think I don't think I'll have a problem doing this. Um, I would rank it as I liked the fly too better at best. I, it's weird saying that, but I did, and I'm going to be lambasted by all horror film fans everywhere for doing that. <laughs> but that's my that's that's my word on it, and I'm not taking it back. Um, and then the original fly uh, with Vincent Price, and then David Cronenberg's fly. And then Return of the Fly, and then Curse of the Fly would be after the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, where they do fly, episode called Fly versus Fly, because I thought that was a better fly fly movie than Curse of the Fly, because the fly actually showed up in that one. Again, it's the curse of the fly. It's not just a fly. But... Again, in the curse of the mummy, <laughs> did the mummy show up? So. But the fly was there. He's not named Philippe, but we've, we've been over this. We've been. Uh, <laughs> and I would say that the original for me is, is the number one. And then I would put um, it. It's it's a toss up in some ways. I, I think the Cronenberg movie is more iconic. The fly, too, is more watchable. And so I think that trumps. And I think I'm going to put the fly Two as my second favorite of this, this series. And then there the Cronenberg movie after that. Um, but then absolutely, you know, return of the fly and, and curse of the fly is, is f- by far at, at the end of that, that pile there. But I think the only ones that I'm going to return to anytime soon, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in my forties now, you know, and, and I'm running out of time. You know? <laughs> so, I don't, I'm not sure how much more you know time I want to put into this franchise, but I I, I definitely going to watch the original again at some point. Um, but I, I don't think I'm going to be returning to um, Return of the Fly. I, I might, I might, but the original for me is is the one that I feel like is worth coming back uh, to again and again. And I also think it's the one that I of of all five of them, it, it's the one that I would say you definitely should check it out. You definitely should try and see this movie. Well, absolutely. Especially it, it, if it's on Netflix and you don't have to buy, you know, a box set. Although it sounds like you said it wasn't very expensive. Um, at the time I bought it, I, you, you watch it on, uh, it, it's one of those weird things. If you watch it on Amazon, it makes huge price jumps and price cuts daily. So, okay. Yeah. And I, I don't remember spending a whole lot of movie, uh, a lot of, a whole lot of money on, on that box set. Um, but then after I bought that, I was like, well, I'm going to get the other ones too. I'm going to get the fly and the fly too and, and watch those all together. So, yeah. 
All right. Well, that's that. Hey, John, how can people find you online? Um, you can look up my podcast that I am starting up uh, towards the end of October. It's called the Taboo Christian Podcast, or rather the Christian Taboo Podcast. The um, And you can find us on Facebook or the website uh, com. You can also check out my band Burning Clean on Facebook as well. Hey, um, what's, what's your podcast about? Oh, great question. Uh, you may have heard me reference multiple times on this podcast that I am a big fan of horror films and my co-conspirator that's doing the podcast with me is really into role-playing games. And essentially it's, in, it's about, it's, it's a Christian perspective on, thing, on uh, things that are kind of taboo to a lot of uh, church folk that uh, we specifically enjoy, like horror films, role-playing games, video games, stuff like that. More geek culture, just a, a little bit edgier side of that geek culture. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for coming on for two episodes here. And um, I'm sure we'll find a time to, to bring you in again. I mean, basically, um, we, we started talking about horror movies and saying, hey, let's let's get you in here and let's talk about some horror movies. So Yeah, love to do it again. Yeah, I'm not sure what it'll be next time, but uh, find something fun, something hopefully better than Curse of the Fly. <laughs> not hard to do. Not hard at all, no. So thanks again for, for coming on. And everyone who's listening right now, I want to thank you again for listening. And just, um, you know, I, I I just feel like I need to tell you, if you ever do choose to go against the laws of God and nature and and build that teleportation device, please, please, please make sure you're the only one going in. Nothing good will come out of it if something else is in there with you, okay? Um, it, it's going to change everything for you and not in a good way. It'll curse you. And uh, beyond that, I want to say thanks for listening and Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve MacDonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening. Help me. Please help me.